It's been 30 days and Moses is still missing somewhere on top of the mountain. The Israelites already issued a silver alert to find the 80-year-old man who climbed Mount Sinai, but no one dared send a search and rescue team to search for and rescue Moses. Before he left, he left his older brother Aaron in charge. An impressionable, underexperienced, people-pleasing substitute teacher in charge of a couple million middle schoolers and middle-agers in the desert. What could possibly go wrong? The people were restless. They didn't know where Moses was or even if he was. Maybe he lost his way in the darkness. Maybe he died atop Mount Sinai. Maybe he built a house and opened up a Dunkin' Donuts on the mountain. The people pressured Aaron to mold a calf out of melted golden earrings. He did, and they worshipped a golden calf for delivering them from Egypt. Finally, Moses came back down the mountain, and he couldn't believe his 80-year-old eyes. God's holy people, dancing unrestrained and unclothed in front of a golden calf. One chapter, and 3,000 funerals later, God told Israel they had spent plenty of time, more than enough time, at the Mount Sinai Visitor Center. It was time to march. A good day to you, Simplified listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to The Scenic Route on Simplify. Israel marched, but they were a little more humble than they were during their golden calf dancing days. But just a few days into their march, they grumbled because their stomachs grumbled. Without so much as a corner convenience store in the desert, Israel wanted to upgrade their menu from manna to meat. God heard. God answered. God sent them so much quail that some of them gorged themselves on quail. Quail sandwiches, quail salad, quail slaw, quail cake, quail tartare for the sophisticated palates, quail and everything for everyone. Soon Israel saw the sign for Canaan. Canaan was just a short journey over the river and through those woods. Moses marshaled 12 men to spy out the land of Canaan. They went on a recon mission to see what their new home would look like. How big were the people? How tall were the walls? How sharp were the swords? Twelve spies set out for the mountains and crossed into enemy territory. Days later, all 12 of them came back with mixed reviews. Ten looked like they lost their wallets. Two looked like they found ten lost wallets. Israel was waiting with bated breath for the recon report. Well, tell us, guys, does the land really flow with milk and honey like God promised? They looked at each other and back to the curious Israelites. Yeah, (laughs) it really does flow with milk and honey. Well, that's good news. What on earth are you carrying? The spies lowered the pole they had hoisted on their shoulders. Israel's eyes grew as large as pomegranates when they saw the size of the pomegranates and the grapes they had brought back from Canaan. Those things are ginormous. If the land flows with milk and honey and the grapes are the size of chariot wheels, why do you look like someone stole your lunch money? They hung their heads. You should see the size of the giants. They're giant in the walls. We couldn't see over them if we stood on each other's shoulders. Guys, we are so small compared to them. Think grasshoppers to lions. We crunched the numbers. We ran the risk assessment, and there's no way we can take the promised land. They're too big. The walls are too tall. We're too small. It's just too tough. But Joshua and Caleb couldn't believe what they were hearing. They saw what the other spies saw, but then again, they didn't see what the other spies saw, and the other spies didn't see what they saw. The ten thought, they're so big, there's no way we can beat them. Joshua and Caleb thought, they're so big, there's no way we can miss them. (laughs) 
Joshua and Caleb must have sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher at that point. Just wah, wah, wah. All the many millions of Israelites heard were giants, walls, we're too small, they're too big, there's no way. And they wept all night long. In the morning, they tried to rally the troops, but Joshua and Caleb could not rally them because they would not be rallied. In fact, they were so discouraged, they were planning to stone Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, appoint a new leader, and hoof it back to Egypt. At least they were alive there. How soon we forget. But God did not forget. And Moses once again stood between Israel's sin and God's righteous judgment. Israel was on the march again, but this time God led them right back into the wilderness. Oh, that's strange. We just passed by that. They were following the cloud during the day and the fire during the night. God was leading them in circles long enough for an entire generation to die, a generation who tried to discourage Israel from possessing what God promised. This promise didn't just belong to that generation. It belonged to Abraham centuries earlier. God promised Abraham this land, and God was about to perform on his promise when an entire generation looked at the giants, looked at themselves, and said, there's no way we can beat them. And they were right, but they forgot to look toward heaven. The same God who opened the ocean, carved Ten Commandments on two tablets, and fed the Israelites with manna, then quail, was more than willing and more than able to fight for them. But they were unwilling. And for their unwillingness, God sentenced an entire generation to wander in the wilderness until the entire generation, except Joshua and Caleb, died. Nearly all Israel stood against them. Only God stood with them, which made them the majority. Fast forward 40 years and Israel was much closer to the promised land and once again they ran out of water. And once again, they ganged up on Moses and Aaron and reminded them how much better we had it back in Egypt. And once again, Moses and Aaron stood between God's judgment and Israel's sin. And once again, God heard Moses' prayer and spared Israel. And God gave Moses a simple instruction. God told Moses to pick up the staff, speak to a rock, and God would carve a river from the middle of the rock again. It sounds miraculous because it was. This same scene played out just before Israel camped out at Mount Sinai. That time in Exodus 17, God told Moses to pick up the staff, the same staff he stretched out over the Red Sea to get rid of the water. But he was to strike the rock he was standing on, and God carved a river out of that rock and gave more than a million people enough to drink. But this time was different. This time Moses was so frustrated and 40 years older. He had suffered through the 40-year scenic route because 10 spies didn't believe God could perform what he promised. Moses picked up the staff, and he and Aaron gathered the grumbling mob in front of that massive rock, and Moses let them have it. Listen up, you rebels. I've had it up to here. Do I have to do everything for you? Must we bring you water out of this rock? Moses raised the staff in the air and struck the side of that rock with a fury. The staff vibrated through his hand. Then he raised the staff again and brought it crashing down on the rock again. And God, in his grace, gushed water from the rock for the Israelites and their flocks and their herds to drink. But God had something to say to Moses and Aaron, and it sounded a lot like what he said to the ten spies and the Israelites they poisoned with their faithless, doubtful recon report. God told Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. You won't bring this people into the promised land. 
Moses, you'll see it, but you won't walk in it. Sure enough, just as God promised, Aaron died two chapters later, and Moses died one river away from the promised land that had been promised to Israel for hundreds of years. So close, Moses. Maybe you're like me. I read the story, I shake my head, and I ask God, couldn't you give Moses a free pass? I get why you have to take out Aaron. That whole golden calf scandal was too much. But look at everything Moses put up with from everyone for the last 40 years. He just struck a rock. At least he didn't strike the people. Can't he get credit for that? But before God put Moses in divine detention, he let him and Aaron know why. They did not believe God would perform what he promised. Sound familiar? That's what the spies thought. And that day atop that rock was a prime opportunity for Moses to simply call on God, speak to the rock as God called on Moses to do, and watch as a younger Israel watched with saucer-sized eyes as God carved a river out of a rock for them. Many of the Israelites were not there in Exodus 17 when God did this the first time. But instead, Moses sarcastically, angrily, even arrogantly asked Israel, Must we, Aaron and I, do everything? Must we bring water for you? Moses, you can't bring water from a rock. God can, and God did. Maybe Moses started to think the real power was in that staff he carried. Maybe he thought he could do whatever he felt like. He was Moses. But his great sin was drawing Israel's eyes to him away from God. And that was a great sin because Moses could not do what God could do. And Moses would not always be there for Israel, but God would. If Israel relied on Moses for food and water and direction and miracles, they would lose all hope when Moses was not there anymore. But even when Moses was gone, God would still be there. The greatest gift Moses could give to Israel is to point them to God. After marching for 40 years, God told Moses to lift up your eyes, and he saw what he had only heard about. He saw the promised land. But just as God promised, he never walked in it. There's a whole library of lessons to learn from Israel's 40-year detour through the scenic route. Trust God to perform what he promises and point the people you're leading toward God, not toward you. God can do what none of us can, and God will still be there long after we cannot. Would you pray with me that we would believe God and that we would live a life that hallows Him and points people to Him and shows people how awesome and amazing and wonderful, gracious He really is. Lord Jesus, we love you. Help us today to believe you. You will perform what you have promised. You, God, will do everything you said you would do. Help us to believe you. Help us to have faith. Help us to trust you. And help us to point people to you, not to us, but to you. When they see us, I pray they would see you. When they hear us, Lord, let them hear you. God, you will be there long after we can't. You can do what none of us can do. I call on you today and I pray, help us not to make the same mistake Moses made, but rather, may we point people to you and hallow your holy name in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Simplify listeners. 
Be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, click the notify button, click the bell button if you're listening on YouTube, then you'll never miss an episode and then share it with others so they'll never have to miss an episode and we'll continue to grow our Simplify family on this podcast. A great shout out to my brand new friends I just met at the Apostolic Faith Fellowship International Convention. I had the privilege to be in Norfolk, Virginia this week, and I have no idea if I said that right, so if I didn't, I apologize, but I had the privilege to be there, and I got to meet brothers and sisters who love God, who live for God, who have been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Spirit, and got the privilege to worship the Lord with them. So if you're listening, AFFI, thank you for making me feel welcome and for making me a part of the AFFI convention in Norfolk. And if you're listening from that city in Virginia and I didn't say the name right, I sincerely apologize. If you're looking for something to read, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and you can pick up Simplify, the devotional that launched this podcast, and 10 Words, a practical look at the Ten Commandments, both available on PentecostalPublishing.com or Amazon. And 10 Words is available on Audible if you would rather listen than read. And very soon, Blessed are A practical look at the Beatitudes will be available. All of that is just about to be finished up. I'm super excited to get to share that book with you as soon as it comes out. Keep watching at PentecostalPublishing.com. It should be there sometime soon. Next week, we continue our walk. We're going to leave the wilderness, head to the promised land, and I want to share with you a devotion called Over the River and Through the Walls. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always Look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.